Congregation, please go with me one more time to Hebrews chapter 12. We will read verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. At the beginning of the pilgrim's progress, there is a dialogue between Christian, obstinate, and uh, pliable. And it goes as follows. Obstinate asks Christian, What are the things you seek for which you are willing to leave the whole world in order to find them? I seek an incorruptible inheritance which cannot be defiled nor wither, said Christian. It is up in the heavens and any man who diligently seeks it will receive it. Read this book and you will understand. Bah, said obstinate, away with your book. Will you come back to us or not? No, replied Christian. I have already put my hand to the plow and I will not turn back. The happiness and glory I spoke of are real. If you do not believe me, read what is written in this book. Every word is true. The writer of the book shed his blood as a guarantee. This conversation between Christian and obstinate illustrates well our passage of this afternoon. As Christian committed to following the words of evangelists, so believers are themselves in a race of faith in which they believe scriptures in general and the gospel in particular. But it is far from being a simple race. It is a marathon and believers may find it difficulties, objections, temptations, obstacles as they run through the race. This afternoon we hope to reflect on how we must run the race. As based on Hebrews 11, we hope to see that by seeing the examples of those who have gone before us, Hebrews 11, we are called to persevere in faith and to cast off everything that keeps us from following Christ fully. All this we hope to achieve as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The title of this sermon is Running Unto Christ, and we will take a look at two main headings. First, run with perseverance. Secondly, behold the finish line. Run with perseverance, as we can find it in verse 1. In this verse, we find three things. 
First, the Hebrew believers were reminded that their Christian race was being witnessed by so great a cloud of witnesses. Secondly, there is an exhortation for the Hebrews to cast away a weight or a sin oppressing them. Thirdly, there is a second exhortation that shows that the two previous statements were intended to encourage the Hebrew believers to run the race before them with patience or perseverance. From this verse, we conclude that in order for a believer to run the race with perseverance, he needs to listen to the forerunners of faith, but he also needs to remove every obstacle that he finds on his way. How does a believer listen to the forerunners of faith? Well, according to the author of Hebrews, again, the Christian race is not an individual act. As the believer runs the life of faith, there are other believers, apparently many, who surround him. And according to verse 1, these people are described as witnesses. Second after second, we run in the presence of others who observe our pilgrimage of faith. Now, who are these witnesses? Well, because of the context, these witnesses are the ones that the author himself has been mentioning through chapter 11. Look, for example, with me in Hebrews 11:4, We find Abel, Enoch, verse 5, Noah, verse 6, Abraham, verse 8, Sarah, verse 11, Isaac, 20, Jacob, 21, Joseph, 22, and then Moses, verse 23. Let us remember that the epistle is written for people who share a Jewish heritage. Therefore, it is common to find the patriarchs of Israel and those old figures that were important in the history of redemption, of redemption for the nation of Israel, as we heard this morning. The author's purpose in mentioning this list is to remind believers that as they run the race, there are others watching from the stands, as if we could use a sports illustration in this case. However, in the Christian race, not only do they watch us, but we also watch them. We observe their faith, as Hebrews 11.1 1 says. We observe what they hoped for and what they did not see, but how they did it with certainty and conviction. They made great sacrifices for their faith, as we read from verses 32 to 34. The way in which we interact with these witnesses is, of course, again, by reading the scriptures. When we look at the different situations that our forefathers in the faith had to face, we gain courage, we gain patience, we gain hope. Through reading the scriptures or listening to it as they are preached, our faith is strengthened. And also we thank the Lord that the scriptures themselves are realistic 
It means that they do not hide the shortcomings of fallen human nature. The characters from the scriptures are not too far from us. They struggle with the remaining sin and corruption just as much as you and I do. They doubted. They hesitated. They were depressed. They went through anxiety. They grew weary. But we also are thankful that there are victorious testimonies, such as the one of Joseph or Daniel, the prophet. Despite their realism, the scriptures always call us to follow the Lord fully. So, dear congregation, one of the ways in which we persevere in our race of faith is by listening to the team of faith, by listening to the ones who run, the ones who went before us. Yet, that is not all that we must do. In order to persevere, we need to remove what hinders our way, what hinders our race of faith. In verse 1, we find an exhortation, as mentioned before, and there are two things that Hebrew believers must set aside. They need to remove things from their way. First, they need to set aside every weight. And secondly, they need to set aside the sin that besets them or ensnare or entangles them. Just as a high-performance athlete does not compete carrying unnecessary weight on his shoulders, the Christian must get rid of things that may keep him from running freely. Regarding the word weight, the Greek refers to a bulky mass that has an oppressive connotation. Christians are not called to run while bearing a weight. Interestingly, dear congregation, throughout the scriptures, believers are illustrated as a sheep. And children, a sheep is an animal that is, is weak. It's not a pack animal like a horse, like a donkey, or like a bull. A sheep is usually an animal that gets easily frightened. A sheep is an animal that is weak, and it's dependent. Yes, rebellious, but weak, ultimately speaking. And brothers and sisters, if you have been oppressed either by affliction or by the suffering of a loved one, or perhaps by the loss of a loved one, then remember what the scriptures call us to do whenever we have a burden. Where do we have to go? Where shall we go? Christians should diligently heed the words of Jesus when he invites us all, the weary and burdened, to come to him because he will give us rest. So if in your Christian race there is now a weight that is oppressing you, that is keeping you from running with freedom, then go to the Lord and give that bulky mass that oppresses you to the Lord. Give that to Him because your shoulders are not meant to take 
burdens. His shoulders are capable and he is calling us to exchange his rest for our own burdens. Let us go before the Lord and find rest. Let us lay aside every burden that hinders us from running freely in Christianity. Often we think that sin is the only thing that keeps us from running. But it's not always the case. Here in our passage, we have two things that are different. Awake and the sin that besets us. And of both, we need to get rid of in order to run the race. But it is not always sin what keeps us from running. Burdens, anxieties, concerns also can keep us from running Christianity fully, either in service or in a life of total consecration to the Lord. As for sin, there are several reasons in the scriptures of why God asks us to mortify our sin. For instance, as believers, we need to obey the law of God. And in keeping the law, we keep ourselves from sin. Also, the holiness of God. Be holy, because I am holy, says the Lord in the scriptures. There is also a grieving of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved. So we should not commit sin. And among other reasons, spiritual destruction is brought to our lives when we commit sin. But our passage seems to highlight one. Sin keeps us from running because it holds us back. Sin really holds us back and doesn't allow us to go. Sin entangles us. Sin hinders us in our way of, again, service or consecration to the Lord. And among the reasons why sin does this, we will examine in particular the guilt that sin produces in the believer's conscience. One commentator said, Guilt is one of the most powerful forces restraining the human spirit. Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher, also affirmed that guilt clips the wings of prayer so that they cannot fly to the throne of grace. The guilt that sin produces keeps us from exercising any spiritual discipline. The thought that God might be angry at us or that we have done evil to a beloved person such as Jesus Christ, or that we have grieved His Spirit. The thought of having done what is not pleasing to the Lord literally paralyzes us. If a Christian is not truly free with respect to sin, he will never take off the ground in his Christian race. By truly here, it is not meant fully. We know in John 8, 36, that if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Every single believer is truly free from the bondage of sin. And we find that in Romans 6. But yet, Romans 7 speaks of an 
ongoing battle with our remaining sin. However, it is one thing to battle and to fight against sin and sometimes to slip into sin, but it is a different thing to practice sin continually. The conversation then is different. If the Christian does not actively mortify his sin and vivify his spirit, then he will not be able to persevere in his communion with the Lord, and therefore his walking will be a very weak and troublesome one. Congregation, many of our unbelieving or perhaps unbelieving friends, they may not understand anything about this struggle. They may not understand, if, if you have unbelieving friends, they may not understand anything about how much it takes to try to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. They may not understand that a believer is constantly putting forth an effort to present himself as pleasing before the Lord. The world around us does not see sin as something evil. The world around us celebrates sin. Our world constantly says to us, Oh, do not be so radical. That doesn't make a big difference if you do it. Don't be so fanatical. It does not make a big difference. Well, congregation, if that happens to us, if perhaps you have relatives who are not believers or friends that are not believers and they encourage you not to take Christianity so seriously, then remember, let us remember that all around us there is a cloud of witnesses and there is such a, such a great cloud of witnesses because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are in a heavenly and worthy race, the most noble and worthy of all races. And as you run, you can see Abel on the stands shouting to you, run, and run in such a way that your life is a pleasing offering before the Lord. And then you keep running and you see Enoch, and Enoch is shouting to you, run, but run always being close to the Lord. Then is Noah also on the stands telling you, run and announce to the people that judgment is coming upon those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is Abraham telling you, run and run, even though you have to wait and hope upon the Lord. And there is also Moses who says to you, don't enjoy of the delights of this world, but rather suffer with the people of God, because you will be sustained, as you can see, the invisible one. And then all of them will tell you, will shout you at once, run, Run, but lift up your eyes and behold the finish line because Christ is waiting for you there. Because Christ 
is the end goal of the Christian race. And He is not only waiting for you, but He is running all together with you. Let us see to our second heading, Behold the Finish Line, as we can find it in verse 2. The importance of the first sentence of verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, is high. What the author is saying is that in the worship that took place in the tabernacle and later in the temple, all the shedding of blood, all the ceremonies, all of them had their consummation in Jesus Christ. All of them pointed to Christ. And he is also connecting this sentence with the whole chapter 11. The faith of the heroes, the so-called heroes of faith, had an object, ultimately speaking, and that object was the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of faith. And all the sacrificial and priestly laws dispensed in the Old Covenant had their consummation in Jesus Christ, the author of the New Covenant. In summary, Hebrews portrays Jesus as the captain, the content, and the consummator of Christian faith. This leads us to understand that Christianity is not a race under the law, but it is a race under the grace. One is a partaker with Christ, not because there is any merit in us, but because so it pleased the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the use of the law is something much debated in Christianity, but in reality there is clarity respect to it. For Martin Luther... The law had a convicting character. And he was right because Galatians 3.24 says that the law was the tutor that that led us to Christ. Without the law, we would not have understood that we were sinners. That we had had fallen very, very short from the standard of God. And then the law closes all the potential roads for us and opens only one single road, and that is Jesus Christ and His perfect obedience of the law of God. Jesus Christ in His perfect righteousness. And the type of laws that the author of Hebrews is referring to are the priestly and the sacrificial laws, which were abolished for New Testament believers in the book of Hebrews. Many Jews were renouncing Christianity to remain under the bondage of the law. That is why we find a lot of strong exhortations in this book not to return, not to return to the Old Testament ceremonies. In our case, we understand that Christ is the author, one more time, and finisher of our faith. That is, He fulfilled all the requirements and conditions established in the covenant of works. Christ had a perfect obedience which none of us could ever have. And Christ also fulfilled the law of God to perfection. He also suffered the penalties of sin. He also was the 
slain lamb who shed the blood that the transgression of the old covenant required. In the second part of verse 2, we are shown that Jesus' motive for going to the cross was a joy. The Lord went to the cross because he had a joy, and a joy that was set before him. Commentators say that this joy came from seeing that after finishing his work, then he would be settled at the right hand of God the Father, as we find at the end of verse 2. But the end of verse 2 is speaking of a consequence because of the work that the Lord did or after performing his work of redemption on behalf of his people, then he would be settled at the right hand of God the Father. But we see that the reason why the Lord went to the cross was a joy. And that joy was probably the product of having brought many sons and daughters to glory. Isaiah 53, 11, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. After Christ knew that the fruit of his soul's affliction would be a multitude of souls enjoying him in glory, then he suffered the cross. Surely it was the same knowledge that led him to stand firm in Gethsemane, which for many was and will be, perhaps humanly speaking, the most critical moment in history. When the Son of God, when he saw all the wrath of the Father coming upon him on account of the sin of his people, in his humanity he felt fear. And he asked his Father that if it would please him to pass the cup of wrath from him, but the answer was no. And he had to drink the cup of the wrath of God to redeem a people unto himself because he had joy. Because those that would be redeemed by him would my enjoy of him in glory. Christ is the object of our faith. It is Christ and Christ alone who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the goal of Christian race. It is He who awaits us after we finish our passage through this life. And it is He who awaits for us in the finish line. There our Savior will be. The only body who will have scars in a glorified body the Lord Jesus Christ. Once we die, we will be welcomed by Him. This is faith, the certainty of Him who awaits for us and the conviction of Him whom our eyes have not seen. But there, faith will be consummated. Faith will be needed no more because we will be able to see him face 
to face. And yet in the meantime, while we are here on earth, our eyes must constantly be fixed on him. If we analyze again Hebrews 11, we, we heard this morning a strong emphasis on the tension between what our natural eyes see, but also where our gaze should be put or placed, and that is in the invisible one. The heroes of faith, they had the opportunity to see great deeds of God, but we also have a great privilege of seeing Christ, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his ascension, and his session at the right hand of the Father. We can see Christ fully through his word. Congregation, let us set our eyes on Christ. Set your eyes on the things above. Don't run looking to the ground. Run while you look upward. To sum up, then let us read the scriptures with eyes of faith. Let us seek the illumination of the Holy Spirit in such a way that when we open them, we find all these treasures that strengthen and enrich our faith. Let us study God. Let us study Christ. Let us study the Holy Spirit. Grab a biblical character and study. Grow in your faith. Study the Holy Scriptures. Don't just read them, but spend minutes, spend hours meditating, reflecting upon the Word of God, praying over it, examining yourself through it. Let the Word of God read yourself as well. Likewise, Christianity is a race that teaches us how important are the decisions that we make on a daily basis. Daily, our lives swing like a pendulum between two sides. Every decision we make either moves us closer to the Lord or brings us farther from Him. Christianity is a race that gives no rest, and we will not end until we draw our last breath. Also, congregation, unbelievers, if any, among us, you need to get rid of that weight of sin. Remember Christian, perhaps, if you have heard about him in the Pilgrim's Progress. He had a sack in his back. He had a weight of sin in his back. But it was when, we, he, could take a, when, we, when he could take a look to the cross that that sack was taken away from him. It is when Christian could gaze the just suffering for the unjust the righteous one taking the place of the unrighteous ones, that Christian really could be set free from his weight, from that which oppressed him. If you are hunted by guilt, unbeliever, then go to Christ and beg his forgiveness. You can leave the eternal judgment of your sin 
on the cross. And by faith, by faith, that burden can be received by Jesus. And you can receive His grace and His rest. Also, if you are a child of God, but you are burdened with guilt, then go to the Lord and make things right with Him. Don't let another minute go by. Christians can live under the weight of guilt for days, weeks, months, and years. But that's not something the Lord wants us to have. The quote I read to you from Thomas Watson says, Guilt clips the wings of prayer so that they not fly to the throne of grace, but forgiveness makes them grow again. So if you have been persecuted or are being persecuted by the guilt, remember the grace of confession and go before the Lord and plead with the Lord. As 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, and it doesn't matter if the sin was committed a week ago, a month ago, a year, 10 years ago, if you're haunted by your guilt, Confess your sins. Go before the Lord and make things right with Him. And if you confess your sins, sir, says 1 John 1, 9, the Lord is faithful and the Lord is righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us. He not only gives us the forgiveness, but He takes away the sensation of having done what is displeasant before Him. And he cleanses from all unrighteousness. So, congregation, let us listen to the witnesses around us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us. And let us fix our eyes on Christ. Let us run to him. We will meet him one day. And then... The race will be a memory that we will have in eternity of the great redemption that the Lord accomplished and graciously applied to our souls.